Good morning. Trust that everybody had a good week and uh, glad that you're here this morning and that you take time out of your schedule to come and uh, worship God together with friends and family. And uh, today's the last day of our series entitled Something Greater. And uh, and so we're going to finish that up. And next week, we're really excited because we're beginning a new series entitled Who's Your One? And uh, I believe that we could see a gospel-reproducing, multiplying movement, not only in our church, but around our entire community and even into the city of Chicago. And wouldn't it be amazing for us as a church to leave a legacy, if you will, of seeing people come to know Christ throughout the entire Chicagoland area. Amen? And uh, this morning, I was just super privileged to have some folks in our starting point class uh, one of the, the, the folks that have been coming since our vacation Bible school um, is, a, is a lady from Moldova. Isn't that crazy? Uh, all the way out here in Green Garden, God decided to place someone from Moldova. And if you don't know where that's at, uh, you're in good company because I don't either. I just know it's in Europe. Amen? And so, um, but either way, we need to be reminded that because we live in the city of Chicago and we live uh, in an urban area to some degree, that, that God is bringing the world to our doorstep. And we have such an incredible opportunity and responsibility to see other people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So it's my prayer, my desire, that um, not just mine, but our entire team, our pastors and our elders, that we would be a church that's reaching people with the message of the gospel. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to be focusing in on challenging you, encouraging you, and celebrating stories of people that you're sharing Christ with uh, over the next uh, five weeks or so. And so I trust that you'll partner with us in that initiative. Before we do that, we want to finish this series, Something Greater. And I want us to understand this morning as we close out this series, and I, I, hope, that, I hope that to some degree that you've kind of wrapped your heart around this idea and this thought, and it's this, Christ calls us to live life to the fullest, right? And it's more than, uh, I was with some friends the other day, um, uh, we went out to eat, had this wonderful meal, and as we were pulling to the parking lot, I got an upfront spot. Can I get an amen on that, right? That's like every day is a Friday, and that's your best life now, right? But here's the thing. God has something even better than that, right? God wants us to live life to the fullest, to experience it the way that he designed it to be experienced. And he unapologetically calls us to something greater. He wants us to live for something more than just getting a good spot or having a nice meal or living in uh, the right zip code or going to the right school or having the right job. God calls us into something greater, and that is this, to live for his kingdom. He wants us to live for something greater, something eternal, something uh, transcendent, and it's something that lives on for eternity. Now, the Sermon of the Mount describes what life can be like for us when we imitate the life that we've lived. In this last uh, several months, almost the entire year, we've been in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and uh, we're going to finish up in 7 here in the fall. And throughout this entire series, what we've learned is this, is that God is more concerned with who you are than with what you a couple people have been dialed into that, all right? God is more concerned, not with uh, uh, what we do, but he's more concerned with who we, that's better, I think I messed that up, right? We're going to edit that, right? God's more concerned with who we are, not with what we do. Now, we understand, too, that spiritual maturity isn't just about knowledge of the book. 
It's more about our knowledge and intimacy with Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is what leads us to the abundant life, the fulfilling life, the life that God designed for us. And so we've been asking this question. That question is this. Do you have a religious reputation or do you have a relationship, a real relationship with Jesus Christ? Jesus came to invite us to live for something greater. He came to invite us to live a life devoted to him. In fact, in John 10.10, he says, The thief comes not only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and that you might have it what? God wants us to have an abundant life. And so I ask you again, are you living life to the fullest? Are you experiencing the abundant life? And I asked this question last week, and I think it is good to ask that particular question again, and it's this. What's going to matter most five minutes after you die? I mean, what's really going to matter most five minutes after you've breathed your last breath? This past week, Beverly Kobar slipped out into eternity. And I'm going to tell you right now, what mattered to her most was not the zip code she lived in, the house that she lived in. It wasn't the assets that she accumulated. None of that mattered because the moment that she slipped into, the, uh, into eternity, the only thing that mattered was did she know Jesus Christ. And then when you think beyond that, what matters uh, uh almost as equally as that is how many people have we told about Jesus Christ? What lives have we touched uh, to, to some degree that they have now come to know Christ in part because I was living or because she was living or because you were living for something more, something greater, and something transcendent, something, if you will, eternal. Now, when we think about that, there are a lot of things that can rob us of living for something greater. The first week we talked about character. And we talked about that character is greater than reputation. Then last week we talked about generosity being greater than greed. And this week we want to talk about faith being greater than being in control. I want to ask you this morning, what do you think is God's most frequent command in the entire Bible? What do you think it is? Now I don't answer that, but just think for a moment. Maybe you jot it down. I think it might be this. But here's the thing. It might surprise you. Because God's greatest command, the thing that he talks about the most in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is this. He says to his people over and over and over again, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Over 300 times in the word of God, we're commanded, do not fear. We're commanded not to worry. We're commanded to not be anxious. In fact, the Bible says, Casting all your care, your anxiety on him, for he careth for you. And so over and over again, we see this theme in the word of God where, where God's people have a tendency to um, be afraid of the outcome rather than having confidence in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In fact, worry is actually universal. It has a way of stealing, a, uh, stealing from us a brighter tomorrow. It has a way of robbing us of possibility. Worry prevents you, if you will, worry prevents you, and you might jot this down today, from living for something greater. Your fears and your worry and your anxiety will cause you to potentially miss out on living for something greater. Now, most people may not consider 
procrastination and anxiety especially to be especially sinful. They're the they are temptations Americans are struggling with the most though. Did you know that three out of five Americans say they are tempted to worry or be anxious? I mean, worry can overwhelm. Worry can paralyze us. So much so to the degree that the possibilities of God in our life seemingly feel impossible. Are you guys with me? Oftentimes, we, we worry about tomorrow. We worry about the future. We worry about our finances. We worry about our kids. We worry about our safety. And we worry about these things. And listen, I'm not saying to be concerned about those things is wrong. But getting to the place where we fail to truly trust God is where we miss out on what God truly has for our lives. Now, I say this not to indict anyone. I say it not to be judgmental because if you know me, most folks know that I'm wound pretty tight. And all of God's people said, we get that. So don't come up to me afterwards and say, hey, practice what you preach, right? But I have a tendency to worry. I, I have fears. In fact, I've shared with our church before just a few years ago, um, I, had, I had a full-on anxiety attack that caused me to take some time off from, from doing this. I remember vividly coming home from, the, uh, from, from Chicago, and I was on a train, and I was actually coming out of a counseling appointment. And on the way home, I called my wife, and I said, hey, I'm having chest pains, and I'm, I, I, I'm having a hard time breathing, and and." Uh, and I don't, and then, you know, I don't know what to do, and, and I, 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 you know, and I just, I couldn't figure it out in that moment. And then all of a sudden, my, my phone dies, and she thinks I'm, like, on the train dying or something, and she's freaking out, right? At the time, we had a gentleman in our church, maybe you remember Mike Lamonto, and he was a, he was a cardiologist, and I drove straight from the train to Moni to where he lived, and he checked my uh, pulse, and he, uh, uh, checked my heartbeat, pulled out his stethoscope, and did the whole doctor thing. And he says, you're not having a heart attack. He's like, you're having an anxiety attack. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't have anxiety attacks. He's like, dude, you are stressed out. And he says, you need to go home. And uh, he goes, you need to take, uh, I had some scripts left over from a previous surgery. And he says, you need to take one of those. And um, you need to go and take a nap and go to bed. I said, man, I I got growth group tonight. We're going to meet with Jesus tonight. And uh, we just started having this conversation and unfolding, you know, some of those things. And I remember a few months later, I took some time off, got some rest. And even as close as last year, I remember pulling into my driveway at our old house on Blaine Street. Many of you remember that. And I remember telling my wife, and I, I just tears were coming out of my face. And I said, man, I don't know if I'm ever not going to struggle with anxiety. I don't know if I'm ever going to win this victory. I don't know if I'm ever going to win this battle, but I know that I need to stay faithful to God, and I'm going to do the best I can. And I remember on some, on some Sunday mornings, and I, I did a pretty good job of covering, I think, but I would have chest pains and shortness of breath, and I know sometimes some of you think, oh, pastor didn't talk to me today, you know. And let me just say this. Pastors have their stuff too, right? We have our stuff that we're struggling with, the things that we're trying to navigate and manage and deal with. And, and uh, you know, by God's grace, Um, over time, God's rescued me from much of that anxiety. And I don't say that to lift myself up today, but I just want to remind you that any one of us can be a trophy of God's grace if we'll submit to his word and live out the life that he's designed for each of us. He's still working on me, but what about you? Can I ask you this morning, what do you worry about? 
Do you worry about your finances? Do you worry about the future? Are you concerned for your family and their health and their well-being? How about your friends? Do you ever wonder, like, do you ever wonder this, like, is anyone ever going to like me? Is, there, is anyone ever going to love me? Will I ever find a spouse? Will I ever find the right job? Are you worried about the future? Because I want you to understand this. Jesus gives hope to the fearful. He rescues the worrier. He strengthens the weak. And this text provides a way forward for us to be delivered from the lesser life. Amen? So here's what we find in this text today. This is kind of the big idea. Faith in God's purpose and promises will help us to overcome our fears. Faith in God's purpose and promises will help us to overcome our fears. And what we find first in this passage of Scripture is the calling. Jesus is calling you and me. He's inviting us to live for something greater. In verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What will you eat or what you will drink, nor about the body, uh, nor about your body, what you will put on. And he says this, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? And what we find in this passage of Scripture, we find Christ calling us into something greater, something more, something transcendent. In fact, he's asking a question. All right, you might jot this down. Doesn't life consist of more than food or clothing? That's it. And when Jesus begins to ask questions like that, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he's trying to teach us something that will fundamentally and radically change how we perceive the life that we're currently living. He inverts the value. You see, in our culture, what you drive and what you wear and where you live and how much money you have in your checking account, that's what matters in this life. But in the kingdom, in God's economy, he's saying, that stuff isn't that big of a deal. What's most important, what's most valuable, what's greater is living for the purpose to which I've called you, to live for the kingdom. And so what we find, and I, this is so fascinating, and if you're a worrier like me today, and you get anxious, and you have anxiety, and you stress out, and, and, and have fears about the future, right? We find in this passage of Scripture Jesus stands in the midst of our fears, and he calls us to a life of faith. And so Jesus is present. Are you with me? He is present with you and me in the midst of our worry, in the midst of our fear, in the midst of, listen to this, he's in the midst of our frailty. He knows that we can't find food on our own. He knows that we can't find clothing on our own. He, doesn't, he knows that we don't know the future, but guess what? He's the one who's in our tomorrow waiting for us to get there. He's standing in the midst of our fear and calling us to a life of faith. Now, all of his words are important, but whenever Jesus starts to define the meaning of life or the components of life, I hope we'd be especially motivated to listen to what he says because ignoring his word will not lead to a life of of fullness, right? Ignoring what he says will not lead us to a life of fullness. He uses this word anxiety. In the Greek, it means to divide, to rip, or tear apart. It means to divide, to rip, or to tear apart. I think that's in your notes today. So listen, when you worry, your focus and your energy is divided. Do you find that about yourself? When you're worried about this, you can't focus on this. When you're stressed about this, 
you're divided and distracted about what's truly important in life. And you miss out on the good things, the best things, the eternal things that Christ has in store for those that follow him. And so the meaning of this word anxiety focuses to some degree on the effects of worry. Because worry does this. You might write it down. It rips you apart and it tears you up. And some of you here this morning, you have trouble sleeping. You wake up at 3 a.m. and you just, you can't go back to sleep because you're worried about tomorrow. You're worried about your finances. You're worried about the future. You're worried about your job. You're worried about your kids. And you're, you're stressed out about all of these things. You have trouble focusing. Maybe on work or here, listen, sadly, some of us have difficulty focusing on our family and our spouses and our kids and, and, and ultimately our calling to follow and know Jesus. I, listen, I've been there. There have been times where I've been so distracted and so worried about the future and so worried about the things in my life that were, that were ripping me apart when I needed to pray and talk to God about those things. The only, the only prayer that I could utter from my lips was this. At times when I'm afraid, I'll trust in thee. Psalm 56.3. God, I, I'm afraid, and, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know where to go, and I don't, I don't know how you're going to fix this, and I, there's no answer. But when I'm afraid, I'll trust you. Maybe you have upset stomach or cramps or ulcers, and all of those things result from worry. You see, worry puts the focus on me, not on Jesus or his plans. Are you guys with me? Intrinsically, worry is about myself. Will I get this job? Will I find someone to love me? Will, will, I, will, I, um, will my kids be okay? Will they be healthy? All of that stuff intrinsically to some degree is about us, not on Jesus, not his plans. And we've already mentioned this, and I think it bears repeating again, but the secret to the greater life is a fierce devotion to God. So if you're looking to plumb the depths of your worry, you can find it in your mixed allegiances. Who and what are you trying to serve? Who and what are you trying to accomplish? You see, the, the sad reality for most Christians today is we trust God with some things, but not others, right? We trust God with some things, but not with others. You know, if you think about it, we trust Jesus for heaven, but not for earth. Many of us are willing to trust God with our eternal security, but the day-to-day, ordinary, obscure the things that, that truly kind of get to us, we tend to allow those things to mix us up, to cause us to worry, to cause us to fear. And so the real issue for Christ, and this is why he's even speaking about this issue, the real issue is spiritual allegiances. We sort of want the kingdom, but, and we sort of want to trust the king until life gets precarious. We're all in with Jesus as long as things are moving smoothly and we get the front row spot and every day feels like a Friday. But when we get the cancer diagnosis or we lose our job or our spouse does something to hurt us or one of our kids are are in a situation that's outside of our control, we then say, yeah, I want the kingdom, but I I got this. I'll need to handle this from here, Jesus. If you're in worry, want to be the boss, And ultimately, worry is looking for control. So here's the challenge. The challenge is this, to look at God's promises instead of your own problems. That's the challenge. And ultimately, that's what Christ is trying to get us to focus on and steering our hearts to. Because Jesus isn't here to condemn us for our fear. He's here to strengthen our faith. 
In fact, he recognizes the challenges that we face in trusting him and putting our faith in him and our problems. Listen, our problems are real, right? Amen? Like, I have a mom right now that lives 1,200 miles away whose husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and they're making life and death decisions like this week. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. That's real, right? Some of you are concerned this week about how you're going to pay your mortgage or how you're going to pay your light bill. Some of you are concerned, like, am I ever going to find someone to love me? Some of you are wondering, like, I have a child that's sick, and I don't know. Are they ever going to be better? Listen, that's a real issue, and that's something that should concern us. But what Jesus says, cast your concern on me because I care for you. Jesus recognizes the challenge we face in trusting him and putting our faith in him because our problems are real, but yet our, often our faith can seem so distant, doesn't it? Our faith often feels so distant when we're stuck in a situation that we can't control. So we have this tendency, this temptation, if you will, to maximize our problems and minimize the promises of God. We tend to make a big deal out of our life and out of the situation and the, the, the conflict that, that we're currently involved in, and we minimize the problems that we're facing. It's like that old Christian cliche, the Christian platitude. You know, don't tell God how big your mountains are. Tell your mountains how big your God is, right? And I mean, that sounds good, but when you're making life and death decisions and when you're trying to figure out how to pay, that doesn't feel like the right answer, doesn't it? But in reality, that's exactly what the Word of God is teaching us. Jerry Bridges says this, oftentimes the situation at hand looms larger in our minds than the promises of God. Worry's focused on tomorrow. God said he would already take care of our needs. Worry takes up residence when something we value is in jeopardy. Jesus, and this is what's so fascinating, even in this text, The fact that Jesus would even address these things shows how much he loves me and how much he loves you. And so Jesus actually hears my short-sighted concerns, and he sets to prove that our daily needs, our physical needs, are important to God. Listen, the fact that Jesus would even mention this in the Bible goes to show the links that he is willing to take care of his children and, in the same time, strengthen their faith. So Jesus takes their two basic needs, which were a big deal in that culture, in that time in human history, and that's what they eat and what they they wear. Now look at what he says in the passage of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 6, he says in verse 26, he goes, (laughs) I could just imagine Jesus saying, look at the birds. Look at the birds. They They do not sow. They do not reap. They, they don't gather in barns. Birds do not ask for help. This is what he's saying. Birds don't ask for help, but they receive it. You know, what, you know what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying God has built into this creation the means by which all things are cared for. So look at the birds. Listen, look at the birds and just learn to trust God. Look at the birds and learn to trust God. Most of our worries link to doubts about God's generosity and attention to detail. Is God, listen, is God paying attention to my life? 
doesn't he know that my spouse just left me? Doesn't he know that my kid is struggling? Doesn't he know that my finances are in reverse? Doesn't he know that my loved one just got a cancer diagnosis? Doesn't he know that I just lost my job? Doesn't he know? Doesn't he know? Does he care? And Jesus says, look at the birds. You don't notice the birds. You might notice them on Saturday morning at 6 when they start chirping and wake you up on your sleeping day. I went out for a walk today, and I walked two and a half miles, almost three miles today, and I don't know that I even noticed a single bird this morning. But Jesus notices every single one of them. And in fact, what we find about birds is they're fed best in the harshest of weather, and they are fed without any care or concern of their own. And then he says, look at the lilies. Look at the lilies. They're dressed. They do not toil. They do not spin. And if God cares for this, these transient aspects of creation. Now look, this isn't the movie All Birds Go to Heaven, right? Birds live and die, right? They don't have a soul. They're transient. Lilies, they come and they go. But they're beautiful when they come, aren't they? And if God can be concerned about flowers and birds and creation, if he feeds his birds, he will not starve his children. If God cares about the transient aspects of creation, won't he care much more for his children who were created to share in his eternal kingdom? One of the passages of scriptures that I really love is Psalm 121.4, and it says this, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You know what? I can lay my head down on my pillow at night and I can sleep. You know why? Because there is a God in heaven and his name is Yahweh and he is sovereign and he is king of kings and lord of lords. And guess what? He never sleeps. He never slumbers. And he's always at work on my behalf. And he's not just at work on my behalf, but he's at work on your behalf. And so what we have now is this confidence we have this confidence, in, meaning that we have enough faith to pursue God's kingdom. Now look in verse 32 at what he says here. Now the Gentiles, they seek after these things, what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear. That's life to them. That's what is of value. That gives them status and, 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 and acceptance, and that gives them an affirmation that their life meant something. Jesus says in verse 32, like the Gentiles seek after that kind of stuff. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, so don't even worry about that stuff. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. He's going to take care of that. And then he says in verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so what Jesus does in this passage of Scripture is he calls us to pursue a kingdom, a life, and a purpose that's transcendent. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a pursuit that is by faith. Now, honestly, listen to me. It seems absurd, doesn't it? My kid is sick. My finances are broken. My marriage is falling apart. All of these things are going wrong in my life, and I'm just, I'm at the end of my rope, and I don't know what to do. And Jesus says, you follow me. You live for me. You do what is right. You live for the kingdom of God, because I am the king of kings, and I am the Lord of lords, and I am in control of all things going on in your life. And there isn't a single detail going on in your life right now that I'm not aware of, and that I'm not at work in. Romans says that he causes all things 
to work together for good to them who love God, to them uh, who are the called according to his purpose. This is being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. Hey, listen, it's like that song the kids sing. Um, it took him just a week to make the moon and the stars. You guys with me? Anybody want to break out? It took him a week to make the moon and the stars, but he's still working on me. Listen, God is at work. And so while it seems absurd to pursue a life that I can't see or feel, yes, that's what he's calling us to. But mark it down. Our greatest needs are not physical. They are spiritual. Our greatest needs are not physical. They're spiritual. And I can say with confidence that a life of faith is a life that's lived to the fullest. Paul Tripp says it this way, we are called to to a life of faith, but faith isn't natural to us. Are you with me? It's not easy to trust God. It's not easy to have confidence in God. It's not easy to know that he's in control and he's going to catch me when I fall and when the bottom falls out. But he says this, he says, doubt and worry, they come natural to us. So God in, in grace works to craft faith in us. Now listen, you've heard me say this for years. Part of being a follower of Jesus Christ means this. God is working in your life to get you to a place of faith. Right? He is working in your life to get you to a a place of faith. So every negative thing in your life that appears to be negative isn't actually negative, but it's the outworking of a loving, sovereign God who knows exactly what you need in your life so that you can be the person that he has called you to be. Friends, that takes faith. And so the issue isn't whether we will worry or whether we will not worry. The Bible assumes that. What's important is where we turn or to whom do we turn. God is relentless in his pursuit of us to trust him. God wants us to get to a place of faith. And the cure to worry, listen, the cure to worry is to know the one that we are called to trust. That's the cure. We take our cue from the king, and the king isn't fretting out. Listen, God knows. God knows what's going on in your life right now in this moment. And he's not pacing back and forth through heaven trying to figure out, oh man, what am I going to do? That's really messed up down there. He's not stressed out about that. He's not wringing his hands and breaking out in a sweat, trying to figure out what to do with your life. He's the king of kings. And we can trust him this morning. We take our cue from him, and only faith can loosen our fears and worries. Now, faith is this. Faith is confidence in an idea, person, or thing. When I was a kid, we had a missionary by the name of Clark Allen to Puerto Rico. And I remember as a 12, 13-year-old sitting in church one night, and he said this, faith is forgetting all impossibilities and just trusting him. That's what faith is. Faith is forgetting all impossibilities and trusting him. Well, man, my spouse left me and my my finances, I I might have to file for bankruptcy or I lost my job and the bank is going to take my house or, you know, uh, things just aren't going well. I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I'm I'm afraid. Hey, listen, faith says I'm going to forget every impossibility and I am going to trust in him. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to put my confidence in him. Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction. It's the conviction of things not seen. And our faith is increased when we listen to the word of God. 
when we listen to the word of God and not our fears. You see, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. I'm going to tell you this. I struggled with anxiety really, really, uh, really bad. It's just, grammatically, I don't even know if that's a great sentence, but I struggled really, really bad, you know, with anxiety. And I, someone asked me, I've had several people ask me, you know, Pastor, what did you do? What did you do to overcome your anxiety? And I would give them a couple of things to say. Number one, I, I got help. I, I just straight up about that. I went and talked to someone. I, got, I went to a counselor, and I began to, to unwind some of those things. There's three other things that I did that was just part of the rhythms of my life that helped me. I didn't stop going to church. Now, for some, today, church is an option. In fact, you're a faithful church attender if you come once or twice a month. And I, I get the pull of culture and all those different things. But I'm going to tell you something. When I was at my lowest, the one place I needed to be was right here on Sunday morning with my brothers and sisters in Christ who even didn't know that I was struggling could encourage me. I needed to hear the words of these songs like that we sang today that I'm going to build my life on Christ. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear the stories of other people who were having victory in their life and seeing God change their life through the gospel and, and, and through his grace. I needed that. I needed community. I didn't miss going to growth group. I missed that one night because I was kind of like crazy stressed out, you know, and I slept for like two days straight. But I, I didn't stop going to group. Um, there's some of you in this room today that were in my growth group at that time. I didn't lead a group during that season, and I just every week would come, and I would sit in group. And you know what happened? I had people lay hands on me. I had people praying for me. I had people that had no idea what was going on in my life who were, I was doing life with them, and they were speaking into my life. And that's why we talk about community around here, because it's not just us getting around and having a good time. We're not just trying to get you to do more stuff with your life. No, we're trying to help you grow and change and be more like Jesus Christ so that you can live life to the fullest and for the mission of God, because in eternity, that's what's going to matter. And then the last thing, it's kind of silly, but, but I exercised. Every day I'd go out and I'd go for a walk or I'd go to the gym or I would do things to, 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 to take my mind off of the things that I was worried about. I'd have to do something physical, something that would allow me not to, in those moments, worry about what it is that I was focused on because intrinsically it was about me. But the thing that really helped me and anchored my soul so that I stopped swaying back and forth was the Word of God. And I got that when I came to church. I got that when I spent time in community. And I got that every morning. There's some mornings I didn't want to open the Bible. There were some mornings I'd open the Bible and I'd be like, they're just words on a page. This doesn't even seem real to me, but I've got to get up and I've got to tell people that Jesus saves and that God can transform their life and that God is real and, and all these things. And I remember opening my Bible and it just... It felt so mundane. And there was a season of just, you'd call it like a wilderness season where it was just like I'm going through the motions. And I imagine some of you here today, you're just going through the motions. And you have this religious reputation, but not a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we want to kind of press into you and we want to kind of challenge you to move from a place of fear to a place of faith. And learn to trust God, not just with heaven, but with all of earth and with all that this life entails. Faith is about knowing God in an intimate and personal way. And trusting God because he's trustworthy. Faith sees more, not less. 
So this morning, I want to invite you to leave your fear. I want to invite you this morning to leave it right here at the altar. Now, every week, we, we give an altar call. And we have a song at the end where we sing, and, and we celebrate who God is and what God has done. And in our church every week, we leave these altars open, and, and they're, ultimately, they're just steps that we use to walk up to the platform, but we've, we've designated these steps to be a place where you can come and pray, where you can come and talk to God. And I can tell you there's something significant, there's something symbolic about stepping out of your seat, climbing over someone, because that's awkward, amen? Excuse me, I need to get to the altar, but there's just something symbolic about it, isn't it? There's something symbolic about walking down here and saying, hey, I, I don't know, my husband's leaving me, and I, I, don't, don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do about my job and my finances and my kids. Hey, I, I, my, my, my spouse has cancer. I don't know how much time they've got, and I know that I might lose a Social Security check, and, and that's going to make things tight for I don't know. Hey, I don't know if I'm ever going to find a spouse. I don't know if I'm going to lay it right here at the altar. Recognize this morning who Jesus is and what he's done. Learn to be a follower of Jesus Christ whose heart and mind and life is so anchored into the word of God that no matter what comes your way, you have learned to stand and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Confess those fears to God. Listen, he knows you're afraid. He knows your worry. He knows you're stressed out. And he's the only one whose opinion really matters. Your spouse might not even know that you're struggling with some stuff this morning. Your mom and dad might not know that you're worried about your grades and worried about what college you're going to go into or the, the pressures that these young people are facing right now in high school and in junior high. We don't always know everything that's going on, but there's a God in heaven who does, and we can bring those worries to the altar, and we can find strength to live for another day.